0: Hi and welcome to Master's Choice Podcast number 55. Thanks for joining us today. Today we've got an exciting show as we uh, will have uh, Dr. Tara Felix from Penn State as our guest. And so we hope that you uh, enjoy uh, this today. Hi, and uh, this is Mark Kirk with the MC Podcast, uh, Episode 55. You know, um, as I as I think through a lot of things, there are a lot of things in life that I just uh, I really really enjoy. And um, as as I was uh, writing an article for our uh, church newsletter uh, this week, I was reminded at how much I like steak. Now, Master's Choice is kind of known for uh, for its its um, market share of dairy and 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 how and how and how well master choice corn performs in dairy rations and whatever but um i i mean i like cows right so i i like i like cows a lot and and dairy cows i like but but really growing up in texas or whatever my heart's kind of in in always been deep down in in beef and so um so i like i like steak right and i like good steak and I don't just like any steak. I I, I like, I like high quality beef. I, I just do. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, they, they make fun of me around, around the office here that I'm kind of a food snob and I'm kind of a, uh, you know, I, I try to, I, I try to look nice. I try to outdress everybody. Um, and, and I usually do a pretty good job of it, but, um, but, but I, I like, I like really good steak and, And and I like good quality steak, and 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 I and I realize that you know, um, you know that a lot of people have this misconception about about beef and and steak and and how to fix it, and and um, you know, it just it just weirds people out that they think they're gonna get, you know, some kind of um, some kind of foodborne illness if they if they undercook uh their 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 steak. well, I mean, we, we all realize that that inside the steak that intramuscularly in inside that muscle muscle, there's really no there's really no bacteria. the bacteria is all on the outside. so as long as you get the outside of that steak to um, you know 160, 180 degrees, you you seared off and you've killed off all of all of the bacteria on the outside. I, I say that to say that I like rare steak and and I like, lots of fat content and I like good tender and juicy. And I mean, I want, I want a marginal vet to be able to resuscitate, uh, that, that steak that they bring out on, um, on my plate. And, um, and so, so I, I say that all to say that I, that I really, I really like beef and, 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 um, one of my, one of my bucket list goals, I guess you could say, probably not necessarily a bucket list goal, but one of the things that my wife and I are, are, um, are working towards with our, uh, with our family homestead, farm, and, uh, and then, um, and, the, and then, you know, our finances is to, to one day have a really good, uh, Fleck v. Simmental herd, and, um, and that's really, that's really what we want, and so, um, it, despite the fact that my kids told me the other day that um, in the the pasture that we're gonna make behind the house, that uh, that I probably should should just buy some big longhorn cows just out there, it's just kind of just kind of field art, right? Which which kind of thrilled my soul. I'll, I'll be honest about it. it. Just really kind of thrilled my soul that my kids were were thinking along those lines that I could, um, you know, that I that I would have, you know, the the big. Big, you know, eighty-inch Longhorn cows out there, just as kind of pasture ornaments, and and um, and so, so I'm also kind of considering that. But, but, but that all that all being said, um, you know, with the with the dairy market, the way that it is um, that it is shifting, and 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 the con- consolidation of dairies and. And the um, you know the the flooding of milk in, in the milk market here and, and some of the tariff stuff and imports and exports and all of those things, you know. Not that I think that there's a bleak future in dairy. I think that there's a bright future in dairy. I just think the future going to look very different. And so, Master Choice, as as a company, we have we have been dabbling in um, in a little beef research going all the way back to I think. 2011, 2012, we just, we kind of did a little study at SIU and, and, and we saw some improvements in average daily gain and, and we saw some, uh, less days to choice with, uh, with master's choice versus, you know, just, uh, uh, basically what would, what would be considered elevator corn, just some corn that we got out of the elevator. And, and so, and so we, we, um, we've always kind of, we've always kind of been mainly focused in dairy, and but always had had a little bit of dabbling in in beef and beef research and and uh over the last couple of years we've really started to dive into beef research and how how to breed and develop corns uh to uh uh, increase production uh for beef operations and so we uh we we have um we we're building we're building um that data and just kind of really looking forward to seeing what um, uh, where we're at. So last year we had a um, we had a trial at, at Penn State. It was a digestibility trial with Tara Felix, who we're going to get on the phone here in a little bit. Dr. Tara Felix and 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 one of her um, grad students, Pedro, and and Pedro's from Brazil. And if I were to mention his last name right now, I would just butcher it. So, um, uh, but. Anyway, they, they did a digestibility trial, where basically it was a it it was um, several different time points of in situ and and uh, we'll kind of let Tara talk through uh, a little bit more of that. But we saw we saw an improvement of twenty percent dry matter disappearance from Master's Choice corn over um, what we just say is standard yellow yellow dent or yellow corn. And so um, so so we uh, we're we're encouraged by those results that we are. Finding and seeing, and and really going to be able to start to to put together some some ideas and some focus uh, headed towards improving things uh, in the beef market. So, with so what what I'm what we'll, what we'll do now is um, we're gonna we're gonna have uh, Tara uh, on the line. She's on the line now, and we're gonna bring her in. We're gonna let her talk about beef markets and and some of those other things. So, uh, so here we go. So uh, on the on the line now we have uh, Dr. Tara Felix from uh, Penn State. She's a uh, beef specialist out there. Welcome, Tara.
1: Thank you, Mark. Happy to be here.
0: Great. Hey, Tara. I I called you beef specialist, but tell us what your uh, what your official title and job role is.
1: That is my official title. My official title is Penn State Beef Extension Specialist. And um, what I do in my job is I travel around the state of Pennsylvania and get the opportunity to help producers make their beef cattle operations more successful.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So did you so I, I, I know this. You you have not always been at Penn State or in Pennsylvania, but you grew up out there, correct?
1: Correct. I grew up in the northwestern corner of the state. So a lot of snow and a lot of a lot of mountain ranges.
0: No doubt, no doubt. And then you were, then you, uh, you did, you, you got your degree from Penn State, and then you were out, you and I kind of met out at, um, at uh, Illinois, correct?
1: Correct. So I, I did my undergraduate degree at Penn State um, with a fellow by the name of Dr. Harold Harpster. And Doc Arpster was a, a nutritionist and dabbled in, in byproducts. And so I, I continued my path with a master's from University of Florida under Dr. Lee McDowell and a Ph.D. under Dr. Steve Lurch at um, Ohio State before taking a, a research faculty position at the University of Illinois, and then just uh, was op- offered the opportunity to come back to Penn State about two and a half years ago now.
0: Oh, heck yeah. Yeah, good. basically coming home. So good. Good deal. So yeah. so um, so, Terry, you know, usually when when we think about beef markets and we think about, you know, a university having a beef specialist, you know, you know, a lot of that we think about in the south. Right. I mean, you know, or or um, or in the west, you know, Nebraska, Kansas, uh, you know, Texas, all of those. So so tell us a little bit, um, just I- explain the difference between between you know what we think about in the large feedlot beef market and what's going on you know what the difference is out there in pennsylvania and, and in the northeast
1: sure thing mark so in the northeast um particularly in pennsylvania we have about uh three-quarter of a million head in, of cattle on feed in pennsylvania so we're not a dinky market by any stretch of the imagination, but we don't we can't compete with Texas and Nebraska obviously as well. We do have two major packers in our state, both a JBS and a Cargill Packer. And so for us, you know, we're really, really blessed and really fortunate to have easy access to the Packers over here in the Northeast. The one thing that I think is is quite a bit different when we look at the northeast and cattle feeding operations in the northeast compared to those western lots is we we just don't have the land mass and and the size of operations that y'all have out there. Sure. So, for example, we did a beef producer survey of the state here a few years back, and and even our cattle feeders, the the average head per cattle feeder um, is, is right around that 50 or, or less. Um, we just don't have big operations. We have a lot of guys feeding a few heads in the back of their barns. And many of those, um, cattle feeders we have in Pennsylvania, about 68% of them, according to our survey, are also taking their calves directly from their, herds. So, raising those calves from birth all the way to finish.
0: And so that's
1: also a little bit of a unique operation that we have as well. Fellas have in both the cow herd and, um, the finishing side.
0: Oh man. Okay. Yeah. I did. I, I mean, I knew that the operations were definitely smaller, but I didn't realize, I, I guess I assumed that they were pulling some of those cows out of, uh, out of Tennessee or, you know, some of the cattle, um, you know, the feeders out of Tennessee or, uh, or, or Georgia, but they're, but they're, A lot of those are are right there from their own operations. Interesting.
1: So I would say, yeah, the majority of them are right from their own operations. However, when we look at those larger feedlots, and we do have some feedlots with capacity, one-time capacity of closer to 1,000 to 2,000 heads, and those bigger feedlots, you're absolutely right, Mark. They're pulling their cattle mainly out of Virginia. We get a lot of good crossbred cattle coming up out of Virginia, um, to fill
0: those bigger feedlots. Okay, interesting. So, so, you know, your, your expertise, if if I can say, use, use that is, is maybe not necessarily the markets, but it, but it's the nutrition, correct? I mean, you, you're, you're, you're more correct. of a, so, um, so how, how are, how are, how are these, how are these cattle fed differently, or are they fed differently than, than the way we would see that done in the in the West or the Midwest or the Southwest.
1: Oh they're absolutely fed differently. A lot of emphasis in Pennsylvania on um, good quality forages. and part of that is we we are the fourth largest dairy state in the nation. Yes and so we have a lot of dairymen and a lot of dairy nutritionists in the state that know how to to make good forages. And so we see a lot more forages in the rations here in Pennsylvania than we would see out in the, the Midwest or the western states. Um, a lot of corn silage goes through our cattle here uh, as they're growing, and um, and a lot less corn then because of that. So our, our cattle tend to be uh, pretty fleshy when they go to harvest, uh, if I can use that very scientific term. I
0: like that scientific and term.
1: <laughs> and and part of this has to do with with historic markets too a lot of tradition in Pennsylvania and some of those historic markets particularly the kosher markets like those really big you know sixteen hundred, sixteen 1650 pound uh, calves with a real big front end for those those kosher markets right
0: no that that makes sense um so so what about what about like what about like uh, byproducts I mean are there a lot of byproducts? That we that we see in in that in, in 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 Pennsylvania, you know, dry distillers, wet distillers, in you know, it, steam flake corn is not a byproduct, but but how how much of that is is going into a ration out there?
1: Sure. So we have very little steam flake corn. Just don't have the size to justify steam flaking. Um, you know, you need you need. 10 or twenty thousand head to justify even putting in a steam flaker in the first place and we just we see a lot of dry rolled corn and a lot of high moisture grain um, being used in our feedlot diets where where there is corn used we also as you mentioned have a lot of those byproducts however we don't have the access to wet distillers grains like y'all have out in the midwest and western states we have one uh, ethanol plant in Pennsylvania that does supply a good amount of, of dry distiller's grains to our cattle feeding operation. Unique when we look at rations in Pennsylvania is um, Pennsylvania is known as the junk food capital of the world, right? We've got <laughs> Tasty Cakes and Little Debbie's and Hershey's Chocolate Factory, and we have all these phenomenal snack food byproducts that we end up using in our cattle rations. One fella that feeds a lot of cattle, and and he feeds uh, chocolate byproducts. He feeds a potato chip byproduct, and he also feeds a, a potato waste from the potato chip plants. That's the uh, potato skins and a lot of the the um, gray water and those types of things.
0: So so but we've
1: got it. We've got it all. We've got we've got macaroni being fed to cattle. We've got we've got it all.
0: So you're kind of the California of the beef market, then.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I, I guess I, I didn't. How, how hard is it as as a um, as as a as a beef nutritionist? How hard is it to balance a ration like that? Or 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 is there as much attention paid to balancing that ration as there is to a dairy ration?
1: Oh, there's absolutely attention paid. You know, it's it's mostly the bigger feedlots that are able to utilize those byproducts. Fast enough to make them keep them fresh okay. and and really get a good use out of them, but but there's a ton of attention paid. You know when when we think of all those byproduct foods, the bakery waste, the chocolate waste, the potato chip waste, it, the one thing that it has in common is it's all extremely high in fat. Oh. And so, one of the things that we really focus on on our on our rations with those byproducts in them is monitoring fat inclusions. And when we get into the things like the potato chip waste, or I even have one fellow feeding ramen noodle waste. Um, oh my gosh! We we really watch salt concentrations in those diets as well to ensure that we're not exceeding, exceeding sodium levels in those calves.
0: Man, okay. that is yeah. I I guess I didn't I guess I didn't realize. There was there was so much of that going on um, uh, out there. That's a uh, uh, yeah. That that to me would be uh, would 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 be difficult uh, to to balance those. But you know you got you got a good you know you sounds like y'all have a good um, a good handle on that. So barring barring all of those strange byproducts, so to speak, what what would a and, and and we'll just go to the we'll go to the fifty head guy who's feeding them in the back of the barn. What would a what would the the typical ration for that guy be?
1: Very typically, it's going to be predominantly corn silage. Forty, maybe even fifty percent of the diet dry matter will be corn silage. Wow. Okay. Um, and and if not corn silage, then uh, second cutting grass hay. Okay. The rest of it will be made up of corn. There's a lot of whole beans in those backyard operations being fed because that's what they're growing on the farm. And so rather than take those beans, um, depending on the price, uh, right. it pays more to, to just feed those beans. It can pay more just to feed those beans through the cattle um, instead of taking them to the crush plant and buying back soybean meal. Um, so more whole beans being fed here than what Uh, you would typically see in the western western part of the world as well
0: so is is there i mean is there any things that guys have to watch out with feeding whole soybeans i mean
1: again we go back to fat concentrations right right? those those whole fat soybeans um you can on a growing calf up to three pounds a day is is not going to be any big worry but more than that, you really have to start to watch fat concentrations in those cattle loosening up on you.
0: Okay, so if we if we get if we get too what what is the what's the uh, physiological response to too much fat in in beef cattle? I mean, what, what, what 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 what's the problem with that?
1: Uh, too much fat in beef cattle rations are, is actually detrimental to rumen function, okay. and so what we will see in the rumen is a decrease in fiber di- digestibility. For, for a couple of reasons. the There are some microbes to which unsaturated fatty acids are actually toxic. They act like an antimicrobial. And then there's other microbes that like to attach to forage particles. And too much fatty acids in the rumen will actually coat a forage particle so that those fiber digesting bacteria can't attach to it um, and decrease decrease microbial attachment decreasing forage digestibility in that regard as well
0: okay that makes sense that uh, that makes sense so th- so these guys are are you know they they're feeding mostly what they grow on the farm or, or are they are they buying in a lot of stuff
1: many many of the smaller guys are feeding mostly what they grow on the farm um, okay. and so um, for some of them that don't have good corn ground because our our Pennsylvania is a fairly large state and geographically quite different from one end to the other. Yeah, very much. Um, Yeah, so the western side of the state doesn't have real great corn ground. So those are the fellas that are more apt to feed um, that grass hay, and then uh, if they if they need to purchase in some grains, they'll do that. Um, Or they might feed. We see more small grains being fed in Pennsylvania. The the, um, barley and rye more than we see out West as well.
0: Okay. So, you know, you're, you're talking about that. They're taking these, they're, they're, they're taking these cattle up to 1600 pounds. Um, I mean, how, how long are we, how long, how long are they, they keeping these cat, these cattle on feed?
1: So I, I mentioned that was kind of the, the traditional aspect and there, there are some that still feed them you're taking up to 1600 pounds just to clarify so the but those that are those that are doing a really good job mark i'd say are are pretty industry average type cattle that you would 114 50 and around that 16 to 20 months of age uh when they go to harvest and and those are the guys that are are really, um, more commercially focused and, and focused on, on using the cattle to make, make a profit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, no, that, okay. That makes, that makes sense. Um, cool. So, um, you know, so you, we're talking about these guys and we're talking a little bit about markets and I, and I understand that you are, you, you're more focused on, on nutrition. What, what, in, in the dairy industry, we're seeing and and we're seeing a consolidation of dairies, and we're seeing that people are, you know, with with milk price the way that it is, and the in the milk export market the way that it is, you know, we're we're really seeing some of the some of these some of these smaller dairies really disappearing. Um, as far as as far as far as the prognosis or the outlook of the beef market, what what is what is your speculation of where where the beef market's going to go in the next? Eh, let's just shoot it out five six years. Where do you where do you think that it's all headed?
1: Well, I think one thing that we have going for us in the beef world is that beef demand has always remained fairly constant. Right.
0: Okay. We
1: we've been fortunate in our industry to to have that continuous demand for our product, for our beef. And unlike in the dairy industry where we see fluid milk um, consumption declining nationwide. And, And so I think that gives us an advantage from that aspect. We also see an uptick in exports recently that I think will continue to grow. You know, we have a really quality product when you look at beef markets globally um we we produce really good beef in the United States. And so I think that those as those export markets continue to develop and grow, um we'll we'll continue to maintain a high demand for beef um and see that continue to grow as well.
0: Good. Yeah. And um that and that all that all makes sense and that kind of that kind of you know plays in. So another another here I'll give you I'm you know these, these are not softball toss questions anymore all right so so you know you, you USDA is, um, is is projecting that we'll have um, you know uh, another really good year with high inventories of of um, you know of, of corn and soybeans so we, we think that we're gonna you know exceed expectations on that do you um, do you see lower um, lower commodity prices uh, affecting the uh, the beef market this year or you think it's going to stay as far as price wise you think it'll 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 stay pretty constant
1: well right now i mean the futures look pretty constant through till january anyway um but so i i guess i don't know mark i think i think those lower commodity prices help the at least on our neck of the woods, those lower commodity prices help the, the feeders decide what they're going to feed and, and how many head they're going to feed. Okay. Because we have what, what I term feeder growers, right? They're doing a little grain and they're also, they're, they're feeding that grain through the cattle and they're selling some of that grain.
0: Sure.
1: If commodity prices are low, our guys are more apt to feed those commodities through the cattle and feed more cattle um, because they're going to reap a better price by putting their crops through the cattle than they are selling them at the elevator. Yeah. And so, for our northeastern markets, I see I see lower commodity prices as an opportunity to increase um, beef production.
0: So, with and this is just this, so this is this is showing you the uh, the ADHD of my brain, right? So this is off off how do you this yeah i'm just going to i'm going to just turn this thing around here for a second all right so um so with these smaller feeders that that you're seeing um do do you see do you see the farm to table movement affecting these guys any
1: oh absolutely they're very they're very tapped into it you know they, i mentioned that that 70% of our farmers are our beef producers are taking those cabs um, from birth to finish. And one of the reasons for that is they're they're doing a lot of direct marketing. Okay. Um, because you know we have we have advantages and disadvantages in, in Pennsylvania, and we have one thing that falls into both categories, and that's our population.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We are, Here in central Pennsylvania, particularly, we're about 300 miles from a third of the nation's population in any given direction. We've got markets to New York. We've got markets to Washington, D.C. We've got Pittsburgh. We've got Philadelphia. We're not that far from Boston. And um, a lot of our beef producers are taking advantage of that access to the population to tap into that farm to table movement to tap into um niche markets um natural markets um to get their product to to consumers that are looking for that more personal relationship with the farm if i'm can be so bold as to call it that
0: <laughs> right no i mean at least there's a perception of that and and you know and 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 we know that in, that in a lot of things, you know, the perception, you know, is 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 what at least people people have is their reality. So no, I, that 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 makes a lot of sense. What what about um, you know we we would we were talking about beef rations with with corn silage and um, you know and, and soybeans and and what have you. What what do you see the uh, what do you see out there as far as the grass fed market? But besides that, it just sure. doesn't taste good.
1: <laughs> i think you know i would have a number of grass fed growers that would disagree with you on those oh. the taste
0: i get it i get but, it but they're wrong I, and it's okay they have all the right in the world to be wrong you know what i mean that's just right. it's the country we live in
1: <laughs> right <laughs> they there is definitely there is definitely a segment of the industry and i would say a growing segment of the industry focus on on grass finished beef um they're, and I don't have a good handle on numbers for you for that one, Mark. It's not, they're much smaller than than um, conventional feeding scenarios, I would say, but, but they are out there and they're filling that demand through farmers markets, through their direct marketing, and even through um, some marketing um, directly to restaurants, to higher end restaurants. So, I mean... They they have a place where there's landmass, particularly in the northern tier of our state. There's a lot of good grazing ground, and so if uh, I have a really entrepreneurial producer, they can take advantage of that, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. No, that makes sense. What what about what what about the non-GMO market? You know, I mean, we, we saw in in the dairy industry, we we've, we've seen kind of a or we we had seen a a, a shift in that with uh you know with um. You know, with like Dan and, and some of those companies wanting, wanting non-GMO milk, are, are we seeing the same kind of movement uh, in in the beef? I, I guess I don't. I guess I don't see a whole lot of beef being labeled as non-GMO, but but maybe maybe I'm just not looking good enough. So, what are you seeing out there?
1: I would say the movement's not as strong in beef um, as what we've seen in some of the other marketplaces. There's uh, there's definitely that desire for a quote-unquote natural product, if you will, right, right. Um, but not necessarily the GMO-free. And and I think at the university level, we have a number of my colleagues that are doing a good job um, talking to consumers about what those labels mean and, and the reality of, of trying to get enough grain um, to feed cattle to label it non-GMO
0: yeah yeah no uh i yeah i yeah especially with some of the other stuff that that's got to be fed there um that would i think that would be a little bit difficult to be able to- unless you just went unless you just went all grass grass fed and and you know nobody wants that for the industry
1: <laughs> right
0: <laughs> yeah i mean you know you know come come on, i work for a corn company i i i grew up in texas i uh you know i i i like I, I I like my cattle fat. I like my I like my steak rare. I I, I you know and
1: corn fed
0: and corn fed right I got you. exactly. <laughs> I
1: no, gotcha.
0: No doubt. So um, so so Tara, just to, um just to kind of kind of wrap this up a little bit. What are you know if if what are you seeing as the biggest hurdles in um. In, in feeding out there um, and and what can guys do to kind of overcome those things?
1: I think some of our biggest hurdles in feeding, um, particularly for those guys looking to grow, are our access to uniform calf groups. That's why we see a lot of our, our larger feedlots buying cattle out of Virginia. Um, right. Because the the herd size is so small in Pennsylvania, getting... Getting large groups or potloads of, of uniform calves for that's interested in putting in a potload at a time um, can be a challenge. And so and so they do go other places. Flip that coin around and that makes it challenging for the cow calf producers in Pennsylvania then to to get a good price for their calves because they are putting together a smaller lots. I think that's why we see a lot of a lot of fellows just finishing their own and marketing them directly. Um, it, I think it happens because of that. I think one advantage that we have is, is the access to our packers and the relationship with our packers. Um, you know, we always talk about um, with groups that come up from North Carolina or Alabama, how blessed we are in Pennsylvania to to have lower transportation costs because we don't have to truck cattle all the way out to those packers in the West. We have them right here in, in our own state. And I think that's one, one big advantage. Yeah, no doubt.
0: No, no, that, that, uh, that makes sense. And I, and, and when you said that earlier on, I, I guess I didn't realize there were, there were two, there were two Packers out there. So that's, that's pretty phenomenal. Good deal. Tara, yeah. um, where, where are you at? Uh, you know, you, you and I, we've worked together on some research and, um, and and we, you know, we could, we could probably talk about that longer than anybody wants to hear where, <laughs> where you, you, yeah, you know, it, it, and but, but, it, but as far as just kind of an, an in general, um, where, where, um, I, I guess my question is, is this? It's, it's what what research do you are are you working on? Do you do you see going on in the future to help to help producers there in Pennsylvania? What what research do you need to do, or are you currently doing to help those guys?
1: So one of our projects that's been really big since I came to Pennsylvania, Mark, has been our calf-fed Holstein program. And um, as I mentioned, we're we're the fourth largest dairy state in the nation, right? We don't compare to California, but we still have close to 600,000 dairy cows in our state. And so with that comes a lot of dairy steers. Um, national Beef Quality Audit published in 2016 showed an increase in the fed cattle going to the packer, um, fed Holsteins going to the packer to 20% over 5% in 2011. And wow. I think Pennsylvania has had a, a, a good uh, increase in the number of Holsteins that are entering that fed cattle market uh, as well as, as what those national statistics show. And so we've we've worked on that project predominantly with um, with some funding from the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. They have an Ag Excellence line that funds some research um, to the Pennsylvania Beef Producers Working Group, and that's been a really um, phenomenal project that we're wrapping up here this year. Obviously, I've done some work with you on on grain uh, testing. We've mm-hmm. done a lot of of metabolism work, specifically looking at the rumen digestibility of of certain grains and that I think it it plays in huge for our producers here in the northeast because they are um, growers as well as feeders and so they can select varieties that are going to maximize their profits off those acres and and I think that's that's really key and obviously we're doing more of that in the future and I'm looking forward to that uh feeding trial we have going on next year to to get that information out to our our growers
0: no absolutely and by the way you didn't feel uh any tire tracks uh across your back earlier this week did you just just wondering because i was in i was in a meeting with uh i was in a meeting with uh, dr randy shaver from university of wisconsin he's actually a penn state grad right and um and so uh we were talking and we were talking about some research that that master's choice was doing and I said, yeah. I said I, I had this really good metabolism study with 20% dry matter disappearance. I said, but uh, but uh, Dr. Felix wouldn't wouldn't give me any performance data. She wouldn't even speculate on it. And I said, you know, you got to watch out for those Penn State people. All they want you to do is just keep spending money. And so uh, so I kind of I kind of threw you under the bus to kind of to kind of poke at Randy a little bit. So so anyway, so it, but it was all it was all fun and games. It, everybody laughed. No, you know, nobody nobody went away mad. So. But uh, but, anyway, but he agreed,
1: right? Yeah, he did. He yeah, absolutely
0: did. Yeah, absolutely. It was pretty funny. And um, but no, yeah. So so I'm 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 really uh, I'm looking forward to that as as we uh, as we've got corn growing out there now and and uh, the fact that uh, you know we'll, we're going to kick that off uh, in in the spring and uh, and really I, I I'm I'm interested to see uh, how 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 that greater disappearance that greater um you always you always get on to me for saying digestion because it's not it's not literal digestion, but you know that 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 disappearance. Very good. there you go see look i'm learning i'm learning um, very good you know uh, how how that is gonna uh, affect performance and average daily gain and then maybe even lower the days to choice a little bit so Good deal. Tara, hey, I appreciate you calling in in any, I'm, I'm going to give you the last, well, I'm not going to give you the last comment cause I'm going to hang up with you and then I'm going to summarize. Right. And, and so I, I ultimately get the last word, but before, but before we hang up in any last words or thoughts from you.
1: Well, I think that, um, I'm real glad you, you asked me beyond today. I think don't underestimate the, the beef producers in the Northeast. You know, we've, we're we're a little bit smaller and a, a little bit different in the rations that we feed, but there are a lot of good growers out here contributing a lot to the beef market. And And I'm really proud of what we're doing and, and the beef industry in Pennsylvania and throughout the Northeast. So um, I'm glad that you gave us the opportunity to share with you what some of that, what we have going on.
0: Absolutely. No, I, I think, uh, and I think what you guys have got going on out there is really good. And I think that, that, that a lot of the, uh, the concepts and the principles and stuff that you are promoting and uh, to, to your guys could actually be very applicable uh, to some of these guys in the, in the Midwest and the West to, to really, um, uh, to really kind of hone in on, um, on, on, on better production. I do. I, I definitely agree with that. So. Cool. Tara, hey, thanks for joining me today. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll catch up sometime, but thanks for the information.
1: Thank you, Mark.
0: All right. Hey, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I, I really appreciate uh, Tara calling in today and um, and being part of this Uh and and just the, the the different information that they can bring uh, from out there in the, in the northeast and and so really really looking forward to uh, to what how things progress out there. Uh, and I'm, I'm encouraged by by the beef market and, and like I said earlier on, you know Master's Choice. We you know we want to stay relevant and and we want to be. Um, if, if for lack of better terms the the preferred corn provider for for all of livestock and so uh, i think that you're going to see master's choice really promoting uh beef feeding and and that in the near and really kind of going after uh, after those beef markets uh, you know i i think uh, you know tara hit it on the head there that those that those markets are a little more stable than what we see in the, um, in, in the milk market. And, and I hadn't, you know, I had never really thought about it in the terms of, of how, uh, you know, beef consumption, uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's pretty steady, you know, you, whereas, whereas fluid milk per consumption has really dropped over the last, uh, you know, 25, 30 years, you know, even, even me, I'm, I'm not an old guy, but, um, you know, uh, when I was growing up, you know, we didn't have this, you know, this whole selection of drinks to have, uh, for, for breakfast or lunch or, or dinner. I mean, in my house, you, you, you got milk, water, and and sometimes, you know, sometimes tea. And then, um, you know, depending on how close grocery buying was to, uh, um, you know, to, to, to payday, you, um, you You know, we may have got orange juice, but it, but it was, you know, it was drank pretty fast. But, but, but other what I I say all that to say is that you know my kids they have you know several things that they can choose to drink from, and and milk, uh, fluid milk consumption is definitely down, whereas whereas we I I do see uh, beef being uh, being more stable that way. So thank thank you guys for listening in today. Uh, I hope that you have uh, found this information, uh, if not valuable, at least interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy talking about beef. I enjoy eating beef. I, uh, I enjoy, I, I, I enjoy raising beef. So, uh, uh, this is kind of, uh, kind of fun for me. So, yeah, uh, guys, always remember that we are social. You can find us on YouTube, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and always, always, always at Seedcorn.com. Appreciate you guys.